Listen, this morning we're continuing in the series, of course, in 1 Thessalonians. And so, but Paul, as we kind of delved into this subject last week, Paul began talking about this issue of the second coming. Uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's a lot being talked about it right now. There's a lot of interest in it because of the world's things that are going on, whether it's economic problems, whether it's, uh, whether it's weird weather patterns, whether, it, whether it's different things that are going on. This is getting a lot of attention now. And so, but this got a lot of attention in their day. And so they had some questions, and so they asked Paul some questions, and so he wrote 1 Thessalonians to begin answering some of their questions about, what about our loved ones? What about those that have preceded us in death, that were believers, and Jesus is coming back, and what is that whole deal about, and how does that happen? And so they begin asking those questions. So Paul writes this letter, and we're in the portion of Scripture, chapter 4 to chapter 5, is where Paul begins talking about this issue of the second coming. Now listen, I I totally get it, and I totally understand that for some of you, some of the terms that I'm going to use this morning are are like new to you. And maybe you've never heard these terms before ever in your life, and you know what? That's okay. Uh, There was a time in my life I had to hear them for the first time. There were times in my life that I had to understand them for the first time. So everybody in this room has been there at some time point in their life. And so I'm I'm going to present this and. In the only way that I know how, very simple. I mean, that's one of the things that I get about my preaching is people will tell me, you know what, it's so cool. I mean, even our kids in first and second grade, they, they get what you're preaching, and that's because I'm on their level. I mean, that, I mean it is not a stretch for me. It's just, it's just the way I am. It's just the way I think. And so, man, don't push back and don't think there's just a lot of terms because I want you to understand this because you need to understand because there's men like... Harold Camping, here a while back. Remember Harold, Reverend Harold Camping from California that in the spring predicted that Jesus was going to come back May the, May the 21st? Remember that? And, well, it kind of come and went. And uh, so what is up with that? And so I, I Googled it, and I checked it. So uh, Reverend Harold has revised his prediction. Can you believe that? He said, actually, he was right. This is creative, but he said, actually, he was right. Jesus came back May the 21st spiritually, and he's going to come back physically, revised date, October the 21st. And so he's predicting that Jesus physically is coming back October the 21st. Now, the Scripture says, Jesus said, Paul said, that is that day... That word, that day, is very critical in Scripture because whenever you see in the New Testament, whether it's Jesus' teaching or, or the Apostle Paul, whenever they referred to that day, that was the rapture, we'll talk about that, that was the second coming of Christ. And so the Bible teaches that as that day, the rapture, the second coming of Jesus Christ, comes closer and closer, that we're going to have more false prophets, we're going to have more and more people that predict the time and the date, and they're going to be exact about it. So this, this morning, I want to talk to you about the rapture of the church and what that means. Next week, we're going to talk about in detail, and just don't miss it. Uh, we're going to talk in detail, where is the church during that period? Where is the church during that seven-year period uh, known as the tribulation? We're going, to, we're going to talk about that. We're going to impact that, unpack that together. We'll open up the book of Revelation together. We'll, we'll look at Daniel. We'll look at Ezekiel. We'll look at some prophetic words, and we'll look at some things. But, but here's the deal. Jesus says that, that you and I cannot know the date and the time, but we can know the season. We can know when the seasons are, are changing. And, and you know what? We can look around, and we can see, man, we're living in a time where um, the economy is, is difficult globally, not just the U.S., to where we have global economic problems. We have strange weather patterns. 
meteorologists tell us that between October the 25th and October the, the 28th was the most deadliest period in the U.S. and the world of tornadoes. We even have some states in the U.S. that are experiencing tornadoes that have never experienced tornadoes ever before. And so we can look around and we can see, you know what, economically the world is stressed. Uh, we can look around and see that weird weather patterns where there's some tsunamis and earthquakes and the moving of, of fault lines and solar flares and all of these other things. We can look into the seasons and we can realize that something is up. Something is different. So let's look at this issue of the rapture of the church or the snatching away. And we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that word. But the first thing is this, is what is the rapture? I mean, if we're going to sit together, and you know, it'd be interesting if we could all just kind of sit together and have a discussion. But we can't do that because of time. But we can kind of have that discussion here in far as just say, you know what? What is the rapture? Now listen. There is nowhere in Scripture that the word rapture appears. That if you have an iPad or version or, or Bible software and you went home or, or you did it now and you, you searched on the word rapture, that there is nowhere in Scripture that that word would come up. There's none. The concept is taught all through Scripture. But the same is, 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 is of some other doctrines as well. And, but the concept is there. So here's what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And you're going to see the concept. You're going to see the word. I'm going to talk to you. But watch this, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. So those who have died. Now listen, the body dies, the spirit never dies. All right? And we unpacked that last week. That, that scripture teaches and very clear about when we die, our spirit goes, and our spirit, for those that are believers, goes and immediately is with the Lord. And so, for that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. In other words, when we talk about end-time theology, this should not bring fear to any believer. It should bring great comfort and great confidence that, that we don't look at what's going on with fear of the future because God is sovereign and God loves us and God cares for us. And he has a plan. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So Paul's trying to help them understand that the issue of the rapture, the issue of the resurrection of the saints, is not a big stretch. Because if we're, when we meet Christ, we believe that Jesus Christ, what? Died and rose again. And if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then we can believe that there'll be a resurrection of the, of the saints. And so he goes on and he, he says, for, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the, and the dead in Christ. The dead in Christ will rise first. It's always, there's a huge joke right there. And uh, we, we have this rule, it's the Karen rule. And uh, since I haven't had an opportunity to run this joke by her, I will not, I will refrain. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, uh, because, because you know what, it, it, so here's the deal, so I usually run my jokes by because sometimes my jokes have gotten me in trouble, so I run them through the Karen filter, and so, and you know what I do, if, if, she, if she says no, then I go to the pastors, and I say, hey guys, let me tell you this joke, you think it'd be okay to tell in church, I mean, you think it'd be funny, and they, you know what they do now, have you told Karen about this? 
Uh-uh, we're not getting in between of that. So anyway, we'll just have to move on. So, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, here we go, will be caught up. That's where we get rapture from. Okay? That phrase, will be caught up, is one Greek word. It means to snatch away with a violent force. It means to, to pull out. It, 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 see, there's this, there's this belief that, that people talk about the second coming and says, well, well, wait a minute. It'll be like kind of the believers just kind of slowly float up. Oh, Jesus says that two people will be working, one in a field and two together. One will turn and the other one is gone. Two women will be grinding at the mill. And one will be snatched up. You see, I had a friend in Texas and... And I never forget when I witnessed to him, he says, You know what? Right before my death, I'm going to meet Christ. You don't know that you have that. You don't know that you have that promise. You see, Scripture says that this is immediate. Fact is, if a little bit about the Greek of that phrase, that tense of that word will be caught up is in the second future passive indicative form. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but here's what it means. It is something that is done to you, for you, not of yourself. In other words, you don't have to practice for it. You don't have to worry if you can do it or not. It is something that is future tense that has been done to you by God, for you, not of yourself. That this this rapture, that, that happens that pulls the saints or pulls the believers out. The fact is, Matthew, Jesus talked in Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 21 about the second coming of Christ. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about that, and he says, but concerning that day, there's that phrase. Remember, whenever you see that day in Scripture, you know he's talking about the rapture. You know he's talking about the second coming. He says, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only, only the Father. He's the only one that knows. For as, for as were the days of Noah, now this is so important because Jesus begins saying, you know the day of Noah when God judged the world by a flood, their season was just like our season is going to be. There's some lessons you can learn by looking back to the days of, of Noah and he says, For as were the days with Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they are unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Lord. The ones that were unaware were the non-believers. The believers were aware. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one will be left. See, the process is this. The process is, is that Jesus comes back first secretly for the saints. Then after a seven-year period, he comes back publicly with the saints for the Battle of Armageddon. You see, I alluded to it last week, and, and I really warred back and forth to uh, present to you my end-time theology. There's basically three main uh, beliefs about it. 
there's pre-tribulation, which is this, that the rapture happens and then it ushers into the tribulation period and for seven years that we are with him and, and, we are, and then God brings wrath and judgment on this world. There's mid-tribulation, which believes this, that the believers would go through three and a half years of, of, of difficult times and tribulation. But really in that time, it's when the Antichrist rises up and they believe that he's going to solve their problems and he can bring world order and world peace. And then three and a half years, Jesus comes back, pulls his church out before it gets really bad. Then there's a belief about post-trib or post-tribulation, which means this, that the believers would go through seven years of the difficult times, and at the end, the battle of Armageddon and everything, Jesus pulls his church out. Okay? So that's, that's the three main ones. Here, here's why I'm pre-trib, and here's why I'm so strongly pre-trib. And, and I've told you this. We don't have to all agree on this, but what we have to agree on is that Jesus is coming back. I mean, because here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm not on the planning committee. I'm on the welcoming committee. <laughs> I'm going to welcome, and that's all of us. None of us are on the planning committee, right? It only says that God knows. But here's the reason that I am so strong pre-trib is because of the outline of Revelation. I won't walk through the whole detailed outline of Revelation, but let me give you just kind of the cliff notes of it. Chapter 1 in Revelation, God is, Jesus is, is Lord of lords and King of kings. He's no longer the uh, suffering servant, but he is, he is Lord of lords. Chapter 2 and 3, he writes a letter to the seven churches. Now listen, I believe two things about the seven churches. It was the church age of their time that was going on, and we can also pull principles out to the church age of our time before the coming of Christ, before the rapture. Then then, then in Revelation chapter 4, our Lord says to John, who wrote the book of Revelation, come up here. I want to show you something. I want to show you a vision. There's the rapture. Come up here. And John comes up, and he details in Revelation from then on, and you you find the the Antichrist, the beast, uh, the mark of the beast, 666. We'll talk about what all that means. We'll talk about the Antichrist. We're going to talk about world uh, religion and, and some other things next week, and so we just don't have time this morning. And so he talks about the Antichrist. He talks about uh, the beast. He talks about 666. He, he talks about the wrath of God. He talks about the difficult time. He talks about uh, the new heaven and, and the new earth. Okay? From Revelation chapter 4, after he tells John, come up here, I want to see you. I want to show you some things. You never see the church ever referenced again in the book of Revelation. Never. Why? We're not here. We're with him. Don't you think if we as believers were going to go through the tribulation that was horrendous and difficult and hurtful and painful, that Jesus would have taught his disciples about that? Guys, there's a time you're going to go through the tribulation. Here's your survival kit. Here's how to get through it. Don't you think Paul would have talked to that group of believers and said, when you go through the tribulation, here's your survival. See, the tribulation, and, and here's another thing back into my theology, is, is Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 that God did not destine us for wrath. That's what happens in the seven-year period. The wrath of God and the judgment of God falls, just like it did in the days of Noah. See, in a sense, 
Please, understand this. In a sense, we, when you're a believer, you've already been judged. Once, it's on the cross. It's on the cross. You're not going to be judged. I am thinking so seriously about just doing a series called Just Wondering and take the top 18 questions that over my, my ministry here that I've been asked and just start walking through those things about, will I be judged as a believer? What is up with heaven and hell? It, do all roads lead to, to heaven? Uh, uh, how am I forgiven? And just start dealing, is the Bible real? Is the Bible authentic? Because your gospel theology or your theology of salvation is critical to this. You are not destined for wrath. You have been forgiven. You have been set free. It's already been done. And that's why I believe that we are with him. And I even forgot where I'm at. Man, I'm telling you. There is no reason any of this should bring any of you some fear unless, of course, you do not know him. Unless, of course, if you don't have a relationship with him. Jesus taught about this in Luke 21 and Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, verse 36 through 41, he goes on and Jesus is, is teaching and, and says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Have I read that? Have I? Yeah. You know what? After you do this a couple of times, you know, you know what runs through your mind? Did I say that? Did I not? Was this this group, the early group, or last night? And so, so since I said that, we're going to move on. And so, so <laughs> maybe I need to take notes as I preach. So the Bible tells us that he comes secretly for the saints and that he comes publicly with the church in the battle of Armageddon. So the second thing is this, is when will the rapture of the church happen? Now listen, I've already alluded to it. I've kind of jumped ahead. Uh, verse 36 again, but concerning that day uh, and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven and the Son of Man are the Father. So when you hear people like Harold Camping, or when you hear other people talk about, I know the date, I know the time, in all due respect to Harold Camping, he's a false prophet. And I know we don't like to talk like that in, in church, and we like to kind of be sweet, and we kind of like just gather around and grab hands and sing kumbaya. But there's some times that we just need to call it for what it is. And so the Scripture says, in fact, as Jesus said it, those that come and say, I am the Christ, those that come and proclaim that I know the day, the hour, the time, that they are false prophets, they, they do not know me. And the Scripture says that more and more people will come like him. And you know what? We need to grow up as believers, and we need to quit focusing on what every man is predicting and focus on what Jesus says and focus on what the Word says. And Jesus talked about in the days of Noah that, that the non-believers, or that really no one was expecting it and will be the same as in our time. I, I'll never forget when I was, I was in engineering and 
1983, and I'd, I'd been witnessing to a, a group of engineers, and, you know, I was new into engineering, and any of you that have, have been engineers, you kind of know that, that you start out like in this big bullpen with, with like just a room full of, of engineers, and, and really and truly what it is like is just grown-up kindergarten, because the same stuff goes on there that went on in kindergarten, and so, so, and, uh, and so you talk a lot, you know? And so I'd been witnessing to these guys. And in that, in that day and time, that, that, that people were asking questions about the second coming. And so I was talking to them about the rapture and about the second coming. And I never forget, one night I worked late. They had all left. And so, you know, the air conditioning of the building just went off, and it got really, really hot. And so, you know, I lived in Texas then, Texas then so I wore boots. And so I took my boots off and, and took my watch off and, and uh, laid my glasses down because I... And radio was like blaring, and so I needed to go to the restroom. So I stepped out of the office and went to the restroom. When I come back, I'd lock myself out of the office, and I didn't think anything of it. So I said, mm. but I, I had my keys to my car and keys to my apartment. So I went ahead and went on home. And then since I worked late, I came in late the next morning. And I mean, they're like freaked out. They're like, we thought the rapture had hit. I mean, we show up. Yeah, I won three engineers to the Lord that day. And no, that, that was the part that wasn't true. Uh, the, everything else of the story was true. And so, and so, you know what? They says, we got so unsettled. We show up there, your boots, your glasses, your watch, you know, your, your music is blaring. You had some uneaten food over here. We thought, we missed it. It was like the rapture. And the Bible says that's how it's going to be. The Bible says it's going to come, and there's like no one expecting it. Uh, verse 2, but he answered them. He said, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here. So he's talking about the destruction of the temple in, that happened in 70 A.D. And so when he's talking about the destruction of the temple, it was some things that were going to happen at the destruction of the temple, but it was also some things that were going to happen before the second coming. And so he's talking to them. He says, you, you see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be torn down. In verse 3, and so Jesus sat at the Mount of Olives, and they could, from the Mount of Olives, you overlook, you can see the temple. I mean, it's a beautiful view. And the disciples came to him privately, and here's what's so cool. They're just like us, right? Tell us, when will all, these, all of these things be? What's the date? What's the time? What's the hour? And what will be the sign of your coming and, and of those close, and of the close of the age and then Jesus walks through this teaching you see when Jesus comes back with his church the first place we touch down on with him is the Mount of Olives and he splits it and that's where the separation of the, the wheat and the tares and the goats and the sheep and the non-believers and the believers and you know we've taken a group to Israel and uh, we didn't get to go to the Mount of Olives when I went because there was a shooting or stabbing or something and it was unsafe. And, uh, but we could see it from there. And guess what? When you're a believer, we're getting a free trip to the Israel, to the Holy Land. And so Jesus begins talking to them. And he says, let me give you some signs. He says, I got to tell you, you, you know when it's drawing near false teachers. Verse 4 and 5, and Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. That's why you've got to know the Word. That's why you've got to know your Bible. This isn't enough for you. 
I don't care if it's me teaching or someone else. You need to take your stuff home, your notes, the scripture, what you heard in church, open up the word and learn for yourself and go deeper. Listen, in the last days, you better know what you believe and why you believe it. Finally, many will come in my name and say, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Man, we live in a world of the New Age movement. But it's like, I am God. I can become a God. Cults, religions talk about this, that, that you and I can become a God if you believe their way. We have this culture of arrogancy in our time. And Jesus says there will be this mentality that you can become God. And there will be false teachers that will lead many astray. The second thing is this. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. I mean, in other words, when all this, it shouldn't unsettle you. Because you know him. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. It's like false labor pains. It's like the changing of a season. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And Jesus said, there's going to be famine. And we, we live in a time where, where survival shelters are, are on the rise. People are buying six-month worth of food rations and everything else because they're unsettled of what's going on. And what he goes on, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of birth pains. And we live in a time with increased earthquakes and tsunamis and global warming and movement of fault lines. And then he says, you know what, there's, there's going to be persecution. Do you realize there's never been a time in history that Christians have not been persecuted? fact is, it made national news last week in China where there was a pastor in China of an evangelical church. He had a house church, and he was making a difference in his community. They arrested him, and they were going to put him to death. I, I started getting email notices that, that pray for him. And so the courts, when he went to court, they, they made some changes, and so they're sending him to a two-year labor count, camp. In America, we think we're being persecuted when people make fun of us for being a believer. We think we're being persecuted when not everybody accepts. And Jesus said, there's, there's going to be going to be persecution. One of the most glaring things is, he says, there's going to be apathy. Watch this, verse, verse 12. And because a lawlessness will be increased, and here it is, love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Why will the love of many grow cold? Because of the increase in immorality. Because things are socially acceptable now that weren't 50 years ago. Temptation will be greater, accessibility to it will be greater. It will be socially acceptable. The fact is, people will encourage you. And the scripture says that the time comes that the love of many will grow cold. I mean, we live in a time when what was once right is wrong. 
And once, what was once wrong is right. And there's this arrogancy. This last week, CNN did, a, did an opinion poll on God, if you can believe that, like he's a president. And you know what they found? That God has an approval rating of 52%, which is better than the president, but I sh- I, I'm sorry. That's just a joke. That's a joke I should have run by Karen. See, see what happens? You guys get me in trouble because you encourage that kind of stuff. Can you imagine the arrogancy of a country? Can you imagine the arrogancy of man? We'll, we sit judge, ruler over God. We'll decide his approval rating. We'll create God in our image. We won't use the scriptures. We'll create God in our image, out of our imagination. Oh, and if you do that, you better create heaven in your image, in your imagination. We live in a time where man in immorality is running rampant. And we're going to have persecution. The, the Norway, you, when, you, when, you, when you see the news, look through it through a biblical world view of what's going on. So, okay, so the Norway massacre that made national headlines, and you know what the media is doing? Fundamentalist Christian. Which when you read your, his writings, he's not. But you know what they're doing? They're blaming, him, they're blaming the whole deal on the Christians. Do you realize that's the same thing Hitler did to turn a country against the Jews? Every bad thing that happened in Germany, capital buildings being burnt, government buildings being burnt, it was set up and they blamed the Jews to where the country decided, no more Jews, we got to get them out. This would be a better place without. Do you realize they're doing it in America right now? This would be a better place. If we didn't have those Christians saying marriage is only between a man and a woman. This would be a better place if we didn't have narrow-minded believers saying the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. This would be a better place if those Christians weren't here. See, a lot of times even Christians, we love Scripture. This says God loves us and He forgives us of our sin and we're going to have eternal life. We love that stuff. But we don't like the Scripture that exposes our sin. That makes us uncomfortable. And, and so Jesus says there's going to be persecution and there's going to be apathy. Let me ask you something. That He says that the love of many will be grow, go cold, grow cold. Do you know anybody in your life that at one point they were on, like, on fire for God? They're memorizing Scripture. They're serving in ministry. They're active in their local church. They're giving of their resources. They're giving of their time. And I mean, they are on fire and they are following him. And now, it's not even on their radar. Now, they don't live for him. You can't drag them into a church. You can't drag them and make them open scripture. Because of lawlessness that has increased, the love of many will grow cold. And verse 14, in this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you realize this is the first time in history that's possible? When the Bible was written, their minds had been spinning. I mean, we, we got to walk everywhere we go. 
How can this thing even happen? In the 50s, in the 60s, the, the, the question was, how could we train enough people to go to the ends of the earth? Because when you read the Great Commission, you realize in the, in the tense of the Greek, it happens all at once. It happens at the same time. But do you realize with the invention of the Internet, this is now possible? unreached people groups. fact is, there's stories all the time of a, of a village in Africa and uh, no electricity, no running water. And there's a group of people from a tribe that every Sunday morning, they walk two hours to an internet cafe, log on to a computer, and watch an American worship service. And they're receiving Christ they're changing a village. This is possible now. Luke 21, 24, they, Jesus is talking about the fall of Jerusalem. He said, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And so in, in, in 70 AD, the temple fell and the Jews were dispersed. They left Jerusalem. 1948, Israel becomes a nation. And when we were there a couple of years ago, our, our guide, Pilar, and I, I can't remember the statistics, told us that never has there been a time in Israel's history that so many Jews are returning to Israel. We don't have to wonder if his word is true. Man, we can look at history. We can look at what's happening. And then Jesus started talking about the second coming. Uh, and he says, verse 25, And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the ocean. Watch this. Distress of nations in perplexity. You know any nation that's in stress? You know any nation that's, in, that's perplexed? That keeps talking about the problem is bigger than we are? And we cannot even solve this problem? That if the economy of one nation falls, it affects, it's, it's a domino effect. That it's a global world, it's an interconnected world. You know, any nations cannot get along, cannot agree, and cannot figure out how to solve the problems. It's idolatry to believe a president can solve the problem. We look to him. We don't look to a political party. We don't look to a president. We look to him. Our trust is not in a president figuring it out, a Senate or House of Representatives. We look to him and him alone. Because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves. See, there was a time that we believed that, that we could build bulkheads big enough to, to keep the sea in their boundaries. That's no longer possible with tsunamis and everything else that is going on. And, and verse 26, and people fainting with fear and foreboding. Do you realize that things are going to get so bad up until that time that there will be people that will literally pass out and faint because of fear? As a chaplain, I witnessed that. It, it, it's something to see that when, you were, when I was a chaplain, whether it was in someone's home of a horrific crime or a traffic accident, you have loved ones that show up, and realize what has gone on. I've watched people faint, go into cardiac arrest because they heard the news, and it's a sense of just hopelessness. 
of what is coming in the world for the powers of the heavens and will be shaken. And we have scientists concerned. We have economists concerned. We have political analysts concerned. We, and when they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, now when these things begin to take place, watch this, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Revelation 1.3, blessed is the one who reads about these words of, of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear. The blessing is not in hearing the word, it's in doing the word. And who keeps what is written in it because the time is near. One of the last phrases of, of the book of Revelations is, come Lord Jesus, come. Last question for you this morning is, are you ready? It's a thought-provoking question and it's a question that we all got to deal with. Is it, are you ready? Three things that Jesus told them about being ready. I won't read the whole scripture. It's Matthew 24, 42 through 41. You can read the entire scripture on your own. But three things is, Jesus says, the first thing is you've got to be watchful. Jesus kept saying, stay alert, be alert. Paul would always say, be sober-minded. Uh, Jesus said in verse 41, therefore stay awake, for you do not know what, what day the Lord is coming. In other words, that we live every day of our life like he's coming back tonight. We live every day because one day we will not be judged for our sins, but we will give an account for our life. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the time, talent, and treasures that he gave you? Did you use it for the gospel? Did you use it for him? And that you need to have a biblical worldview when you hear news. And it should not unsettle you. It should not scare you. The fact is, it should give you great, greater confidence in the word because it's already been written. It's already been predicted. The second thing is this, is, is be ready. Not only be watchful, but, but just be ready. Verse 44, therefore, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The question for you is, have you met him? Do you know him? Have you come to the place in your life to where you put your trust in him? You've accepted him. You've accepted the death, burial, and resurrection, the deity of Christ. And you've asked him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins. Do you know him? And then he says, be faithful. Is your love for him growing cold? Verse 45 who then is faithful and wise servant? Whom is his master set over his household to give him food at the proper time? And how are you living your life? Are you faithful to him? Are you faithful with your resources? Are you faithful with your talent? I mean, how are you living your life? Because the thing that concerns me is that for many people, the truth is, is that we don't want God to change our life. We just want him to change our situation. We don't really want to make any changes in our life. We just want him to make our situations a little bit better, a little bit more pleasant. I mean, uh, Karen loves uh, the show, and I watch it with her Biggest Loser, and then that other, and I don't know what it is about Biggest Loser, but I always eat ice cream watching that show. I mean, I don't know if it's just rebellion. I don't know if it's rebellion or like, watch this, and you know, you know, and I'm eating ice cream, and Karen's on the treadmill. I mean, she's the good one. I'm the bad one, and so, but we watch Biggest Loser, and then that other show, you know the other show, Extreme Makeover, Weight Loss Edition? 
It's a cool show, right? Because if, if you haven't seen it, but it's this show that chronicles the life of an individual. It's a year of their life of them going from like 600 or 700 pounds all the way down to 250 pounds, 300 pounds, and talk about their issues. And it's, it's just such a cool show because in an hour, you get a snapshot into their life. And all of us, we look at those shows and we look at that and we go, that encourages me. I'd like to have those results. I mean, that's cool. I would like to have those results in my life because we're results-oriented. But... I don't want to experience any of the discipline. I don't want to have to exercise. I don't want to have to give up foods that I shouldn't eat that are bad for me. And you know what hit me one night when we're watching that show? That's like the church. There are some people that come to church and say, in an hour, I want you to fix me. I want to hear some stories of the results of living your life sold out for God. I want those warm fuzzies. But I don't want to experience any of the disciplines. I don't want to line my life up with His Word. I don't want to quit doing some things or start doing some things. Really and truly all I'm in for, I just need Him to make my situations a little bit better but I don't want him to change my life. And are you ready? Are you watchful? Are you being faithful? Because I'm telling you, we're entering into a time you better know why and what you believe.